Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we're really glad you're with us today for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And man, Jim, some days the topics are easy to whittle down. We're clearly going to be talking about these things. Today we had an avalanche of very valid options for our topics today. But we think we've picked uh, three very good ones, um, good, bad, and crazy. So they're not all good news, but they're all significant as perhaps a better description. Let's start with our good martini in a race that, Jim, I don't think we've mentioned at all so far in this midterm primary season. And that is the New Mexico governor's race. Right now, uh, the incumbent governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, uh, has a lead, but the margin is kind of curious here. She's up against a Republican named Mark Ronchetti. Uh, she recently was only up eight in a PPP poll, which usually leans Democratic, so it, it could be closer than that. A recent Emerson poll about a month ago now had it about five. There's a Survey USA poll that has her up 16. But nonetheless, uh, in a debate, I think it was just last night, Ronchetti had the chance to bring up a massive scandal against Governor Grisham. Not only what she did, but in her attempts to cover it up. So he, A, brings it to light, B, articulates it very well, and then moves into uh, COVID hypocrisy. And so even if Mark Ronchetti doesn't end up winning this race, Jim, it's a great template for other people running against incumbent Democratic governors for how they handled lockdowns and other things, even if they weren't in a massive uh, sex assault scandal. So here is uh, how he laid it out in the debate. People have had enough of the political games. It's garbage at this point. And, and let's talk about this. You said you've been more transparent than any governor in history. Governor, you grabbed a male staffer's crotch, a gay male, and then you said, is there anything down there? You then paid him $150,000, governor, and then you made him shut up about it. And now you have the gall to sit up here and not only victimize James Hallinan, but you re-victimize him. If you remember back, you said during the Andrew Cuomo scandal, if you don't believe those who go and bring these charges, then you're re-victimizing. So you're victimizing, re-victimizing, and now, and the topper of all toppers, you're creating yourself as the victim. Governor, this is the sort of thing that people cannot stand. You've never come clean. You've never said, look, I made a mistake. Here we go. You've just continued to lie about this issue time after time after time. And let me tell you about experience. Experience, especially the experience we need in this office, is someone with character. Someone who has been in tough situations and doesn't lie about them, doesn't belittle people, and doesn't try to shrink other people to make themselves feel better. You on a regular basis do that in every single way. You shut down stores and then you go jewelry shopping. You shut down our ability to see our families and then you hold parties. And then you keep our kids out of school and you roll up to Navajo Lake and you have a party with your friends while we're on lockdown. You are a hypocrite, Governor. Jim, that one's going to leave a mark. Um, now, in her defense, Governor Grisham did say, when you're a celebrity, you can do whatever you want. You can even grab them by the... No, uh, she did not say that. Uh, first of all, this is an extraordinarily eloquent and effective, direct, clear attack by the, you know, by the Republican. It should be effective. This is a candidate who deserves to win. I, again, I like you, I haven't heard a lot about the uh, New Mexico governor's race. I got the feeling that it was, you know, this is a pretty blue state particularly compared to uh, the states on either side of it, of Arizona and uh, and Texas. The other really kind of, thing that kind of jumps out about this, and one of the reasons we're talking about this 
on today's podcast. You know, one, we're used to hearing stories of sexual harassment in politics. Very often it is male politicians sexually harassing female staffers or other women. And so this is a little bit of a, a you know dog bites man element to this. And the fact that a governor is accused of not just like a comment that's, you know, interpreted the wrong way or some sort of awkward metaphor or something, but grabbing a guy by the crotch and you haven't heard anything about this until now is a fascinating demonstration of how the mainstream media really isn't interested in sexual harassment if they like the party that's accused of it. I mean, really intriguingly. Franken is not accused of running around grabbing guys by the crotch. Cuomo is not accused of grabbing like like that's really kind of you know a rather extreme example of this. And the claim from uh, Governor Grisham is, well, I did absolutely nothing wrong. I just paid one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars to due to the expense of litigating business disputes and to prevent any distraction during the height of the COVID nineteen pandemic. By the way, the the president said the pandemic's over. And that last payment was made September 29th, which is like, what, two weeks ago, Greg? Yeah. I mean, like, you can't say, oh, I didn't want this to distract from the payment. That's why I made the payment now. Mm, no, I'm not buying that. Uh, this is a giant Dagwood sandwich of, of inexplicable, implausible, unconvincing excuses and explanations from the governor. First of all, this should be covered in depth out there in New Mexico. And this does seem like the sort of thing where... You know, you hear about Republican lawmaker who says every idiotic thing in every state legislature from here to, to Washington state. But when a governor of a fairly big, you know, of a fairly big state ends up being accused of, you know, really <laughs> intolerably uh, offensive sexual harassment, it's just not big news. You just don't hear about it. I guess to paraphrase that Washington Post reporter way back in the day, Greg, it's a local crime story. The Democrats and the media seem to basically decide whether these are big stories when it comes to Democrats based on whether they still see that person as valuable. Um, mm -hmm. With Andrew Cuomo, of course, you know, they had the nursing home scandal. He had the book scandal. He had so many other things piling up. Uh, once the sexual harassment allegations started pouring in, uh, it seemed like, well, we can probably cut him loose. Uh, we, we, we got what we needed out of him. But if you go back to Bill Clinton and then and, and, and other folks uh, over the years, uh, it's, it's very conditional. Uh, do we need this person right now? You know, look at 2020 when the allegations against Joe Biden from Tara Reid. Uh, Joe Biden was kind of the, the reasonable candidate, supposedly, in the Democratic field. We need to keep him in there in case Bernie Sanders gets the momentum. So uh, this is a one-day story. Actually, let me just kind of jump in and make one other like intriguing comparison here. So as listeners probably know, the Los Angeles City Council just had this god-awful scandal mm -hmm. by recording of council members using like horribly racist language about uh, another council member and that council member's children and various supporters and things like that. And one of the things that I think the media would use to justify its coverage is that when uh, you know Todd Aiken says something stupid about rape victims can't get pregnant. No, by the way, that's a stupid comment. He deserves to get raked over the coals. But it wasn't just, oh, Todd Aiken is an idiot. I mean, every Republican was asked, do you agree with Todd Aiken? And every Republican was put through the ringer and had to say, no, I don't agree with Todd Aiken. That was a bad thing to say, et cetera, et cetera. First question to Barack Obama in his press conference after that comment was about Todd Aiken. Right? The media decided this guy, who most Americans had never heard of, this is a big issue. And the argument I'm sure they would make is that, well, Yes, it's Todd Aiken, but it also demonstrates the inherent misogyny of the Republican Party or something like that, or why Republicans have a hard time appealing to, you know, they can say, oh, there's a big, broader lesson from this. 
in the case of a New Mexico governor sexually harassing staffers or in the Los Angeles City Council using vehemently racist language, it's just a bad thing that happened. It doesn't it's not reflective of a pattern. It's it's just, you know, sometimes these things happen. It's unfortunate. They can't learn anything. There's no there's no broader lesson. There's no Aesop's fable uh, to be taught here. Now, by the way, I do think there I think there actually there is. I think one of the lessons is that once you are sufficiently powerful on the left, you think the rules don't apply to you because you vote the right way and you have the right views and you stand for all the right things. So if you say you support racial equality, you can use really terrible racist language to talk about people like those members on the Los Angeles City Council. If you say you stand for women's rights and women's equality and Me Too and the importance of believing victims, you can sexually harass people if you're the new governor of New Mexico. And that's, I think, like, it's not just hypocrisy. I think it's an idea that um, a little bit like the, you know, rather not so great history of the Catholic Church and the idea of buying indulgences. There is this idea that if you have the right ideological or political views, you are exempted from these what are supposed to be nonpartisan, broad societal standards of how you're supposed to behave as a good human being. Don't grab your staffers by the crouch. But the crotch is not really, my apologies to former Cleveland Browns quarterback Tim Couch, <laughs> um, don't grab someone by the crotch is really not a hard rule to follow vast majority of us go through it all day long never have that issue don't use terrible racist language you know most of us do that without having to worry about oh well, this is going to affect our political career on the los angeles city council so anyway this is, we want to show a flaming start to this and i realize we're on, on this long segue but uh, greg i think this is just another vehement example and the lack of interest by the media is one of the things that makes this flourish it's incredible. It's incredible. And Republicans, even if you're not running against an incumbent Democrat who's accused of something so heinous, uh, if they're incumbent and they were a hypocrite on uh, COVID policy, follow that example. So, Tudor Dixon, I hope you're doing that up in Michigan against Gretchen Whitmer and uh, in a lot of these races all around the country because uh, there's plenty of fodder for that. And say it as clearly as that. It's very effective. All right, on to our bad martini now, Jim. And we might sound a little bit like a broken record since we just talked about producer price index numbers yesterday. But today, the consumer price index uh, numbers came out for the month of September. It's the last time we're going to get an inflation update prior to midterm election day. 8.2% year-on-year increase in inflation, which is down from last month. And that's probably what the administration will probably attempt to crow about. But as we've explained over the past couple of months, when you go year over year, you know, you have to move away from some of those early months of big inflation jumps. So even though the overall number's down, the numbers from just last month are not good. They came in two tenths of a percent higher than expected, 0.4% overall seasonally adjusted, the core inflation up 0.6%, uh, food and shelter, especially in serious uh, trouble. It's energy that actually uh, kept the overall number down to 0.4%. And as we know, those numbers are ticking back up as well. So I don't know how much the midterm calculation or the economic calculation going forward has changed just based on this one report, Jim. But as you pointed out in the drill today, people who are pretty straight shooters realize that inflation is really bad and it's going to be that way for a while. Yeah. I mean, when you're left arguing, well, 8.2 is better than 8.3. <laughs> yes. But, you know, anything in the neighborhood of 8% is bad. And we have had at least 8% since March. And actually, we've had you know 7% or higher since uh, December of last year. So um, you look at it, it you, when did inflation start to seem a little bit high? You got to go all the way back to like April 2021 
jumped up from 2.6 to 4.2. Right. So the remember the and if you're like, hmm, the world prices seem to be going up high, and the explanation was, okay, this is a delayed effect out of uh, limited purchasing ability because of the pandemic. This is a normal disruption. This is partially supply chains. This will work itself out. And the message from the administration, pretty much for the entirety of it, has been, oh, don't worry, this is going to go away soon. Right. The infamous statement, July 2021, inflation was going to be temporary. And then the president said in December that inflation had peaked. It had not. And then it said this past February that it would taper off. Right. We are now in October getting numbers for September and it did not taper off. For what it's worth, Kiplinger says they're going to have it at around 8 percent until the end of the year. All right. They're, so far, they haven't been wrong. Right. Now, what makes this particularly bad for the Democrats, obviously, it's bad for the country, but particularly I, I think, you know, impactful uh, is the Democrats back in mid-August did the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, those of us who paid attention could tell this was just a slightly slimmed down version of uh, the old Green New Deal, uh, environmental green energy spending stuff that was there before. But they renamed it. That's all it took to get Joe Manchin on board. And it's like, OK, let's go see those inflation reductions. And inflation really hasn't gone down. Certainly not in a way that the average American is going to be able to feel it and see it, particularly in energy bills, particularly in grocery bills. Hey, who needs food and fuel? So we're going to, you know, there, I figured, and a whole bunch of people like, ah, you know, you know, they're going to cook the books for the last one before Election Day. First of all, I think if you walked around with that suspicion, if this is cooking the books, they did a terrible job. <laughs> I think that actually the bureau, the, these uh, statistics are the, the best uh, assessment that they can, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I think they're calling it as they see them. Yes, these numbers will get adjusted. It is normal to adjust them up a tenth of a point or down a tenth of a point You know, after a month or two, you know, more data comes in. I don't think you should look at that as something sinister. And I think just the overall, when the producer numbers came out yesterday, I had missed this until I wrote about it this morning. Jim Cramer, the you know usually very hyperactive guy on CNBC, you know that if there's anything pointing to good news, he's going to look for it, right? Obviously, both for in terms of wanting the economy to do well, and I think uh, he probably is much more to the left than to the right. Uh, he very much would prefer uh, to see, ah, you know, the economy is recovering, Biden's doing a good job, everything's going to be fine. You know, Americans, you can calm down about inflation. You know, his characterization yesterday, it was just plain bad. Quote, it was just plain bad. There's absolutely nothing to say about it other than it was bad. A lot of people were hoping this number is going to be good, maybe accepting that tomorrow is going to be bad. The only thing that's even remotely positive about it is that there's nothing that's really shocking to the upside. It's just kind of as bad as it's been. There's no relief here. There's just nothing good here. I haven't heard his comments about the consumer price index numbers, but I don't think you can really dispute it's in the same ballpark. There really aren't that many silver linings. You can't point to... The, the only thing you can point to is a gasoline price being lower. And we know in the past couple of weeks, that's been inching up about 20 cents or so. So you add it all up. Republicans have exactly the message they want. They can point out that Democrats said the Inflation Reduction Act was going to fix it. It hasn't fixed it. And oh, by the way, California is sending out $1,000 checks to people so that they can deal with inflation. No, that's exactly right. And you quote uh, University of Michigan economics professor Justin Wolfers today saying there's nothing in this report that folks at the Fed are going to cheer even as nominal wage growth remains contained. Inflation continues to run at troubling rates. Remember, the Fed is focused on core rather than headline inflation and core is a more dismal story. So 
Jim, yeah, not a lot of positive things to say there. And uh, then you throw in, I don't know if you want to trust the Saudis, but the Saudis are claiming that Joe Biden didn't want a general delay in uh, OPEC production cuts just a month, just a month from October to November. So that's not uh, not suggesting that Joe Biden's got the long-term view in mind here either. He just wants to get past Election Day. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to automatically believe everything the Saudis say, but well, that that it's not like you can say, oh, nonsense. <laughs> it's like it's like, oh, Joe Biden would never do something like that. That does kind of fit in line with the short-term thinking we've seen from this administration on a whole bunch of points. I don't, Greg, wouldn't you love to see the Biden administration get so mad over that that they decide to increase U.S. domestic energy production? What would <laughs> yes, that be nice? Not going to happen. In your face, MBS. All right, on to our final martini now, and uh, it's a crazy one. Jim, there are a lot of people who thought this was photoshopped or fake yesterday, but no, not only is it real, they haven't taken it down. They're proud of this. Politico Europe, um, obviously affiliated with Politico in some form or fashion, has decided to come up with its uh, Politico green list. They call it hashtag Politico Green 28. I don't know why they came up with 28. Sounds like a BuzzFeed listicle, quite frankly, but nonetheless... They've decided that their green person of the year is Vladimir Putin. Yes, their tweet says it took a war criminal to speed up Europe's green revolution. Vladimir Putin's brutal invasion of Ukraine has forced Europe to finally break its fossil fuel addiction. (laughs) So by invading Ukraine and manipulating energy supplies to undermine European support for Kyiv, Russian President Vladimir Putin has achieved something generations of green campaigners could not. Clean energy is now a fundamental matter of European security. Yeah, it's also a fundamental matter of uh, skyrocketing prices and people likely freezing to death because it simply is nowhere near the capacity necessary to make up for what Russia has cut off and uh, different parts of Europe claim they no longer want. So, Jim, this is some interesting... um, Got to fit the square peg into the round hole uh, uh, messaging here by the Greens. Hey, we're on the brink potentially of nuclear war, but guess what? It's good for the environment. Greg, in the abstract, if Politico Europe had been very clear, it was almost like, you know, time selects its person of the year. You know, 1938, they picked Adolf Hitler. Uh, 39, 1942, they picked Stalin. And in 1979, they picked the Ayatollah Khomeini. Now, time was pretty clear. We don't like these people. These are not, you know, hooray for them. They're great. They're swell. It is, you know, our criteria is which individual had the single biggest influence on the news or world events in the past year. And I think all of those choices are easily justifiable. Hitler, Stalin, and Khomeini all had bad impacts on the world, but they still have that. You know, obviously in 2001, Bin Laden would have been the obvious choice. They went with Rudy Giuliani. If, you know, political Europe wanted to say who has had the biggest influence on European environmental climate change and energy policies. Yeah, sure. That, that's Vladimir Putin. Right. I think they got kind of cute about it. Oh, we'll do this. And we know this is going to call, you know, get a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not good attention. You know, I can understand the point they're trying to make. I can understand that they're trying to emphasize that, you know, this decision has had unexpected consequences Russia wanted, you know, is an energy superpower in a lot of ways. It wants to stay an energy superpower. And as a result of it, they're prompting people, oh, by the way, as much as it might be impacting Europe's green revolution, it's all like those cars aren't going to run on anything on on wind anytime soon. And people aren't going to heat their apartments with solar power anytime soon. So they're going to need fossil fuels, natural gas, things like that. And it has increased 
uh, the effective power of the United States in terms of building liquid natural gas terminals and things like that. So it's a little more complicated than they shape it up, than, this, than they characterize it. I can see what they were going for, but they had to know anything that says, hey, good for you, Putin, or anything that sounds like it's congratulating Putin or saluting him or celebrating him is going to get an enormous backlash. And unsurprisingly, they uh, they, they kind of backtrack from that pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it would be one thing if Europe had, you know, systems in place, but instead they were reliant on Russia for their energy. Germany and others had uh, ratcheted down nuclear power. And now they're trying to ratchet it back up. Even Greta Thunberg is telling them to restart nuclear power. But that's not what the green left wants. They don't want nuclear. They don't want natural gas, which you would think if they actually believed what their, you know, their public statements, they would love that as a transition. But no, they can't do that. They think it's all about renewables, which if you look at reality, only amounts to a tiny fraction of the capacity that's needed uh, to avoid people from freezing to death or basically going bankrupt trying to pay their energy bills. So they still don't have a, a firm grip on reality, but now they're just trying to, to spin even the worst news of the year into something that's good for the environment, supposedly. Greg, at some point, I'm sure you have run across some sort of you know list of the greatest X of all time. And let's say it's like greatest NFL quarterbacks. And they have Brady, they've got Montana, um, and let's say, it's, let's say it's a Chicago person and they put Jim McMahon in the top 10 of all time. <laughs> and you look at that, you're like, wait a second. You know, like, I suspect a lot of people who create these lists, if you if your list of 10 is like entirely the consensus, yes, these are, you know, all reasonable choices for this. Well, then people aren't probably going to talk about it that much. So in a way, there's whenever you put together some sort of list, you can understand this desire of wanting to have a hot take, of wanting to make some sort of debatable, eye-catching, deliberately controversial choice. Um, and to say, to get people talking about it, to get people to pay attention to this, to make this list seem consequential, to make this list seem like something worth arguing about and worth caring about. Arguing that Putin is the most important green person in Europe is not a good way to do this. And I hope Politico Europe learns a little bit from it. You know, if Jim McMahon had stayed healthy... Who knows what he could have achieved, Jim? <laughs> Certainly another Super one Bowl. One of the most stylish, maybe. You I know, hope. one of the most controversial, attention-grabbing, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh. Yeah, it was just very difficult to keep him healthy, especially in subsequent playoff years. And the uh, Bears never did make it back to the Super Bowl during the, the Ditka era. But uh, anyway, I digress. Vladimir Putin, still a terrible choice uh, for this uh, recognition, no matter how much you want to twist it into a good thing for your ridiculous green agenda. Jim, on that note, we will call time for today, but we'll uh, reconvene tomorrow. I'll see you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already, and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Buy Jim's new book. It is Gathering Five Storms and the accompanying short story, for just 99 cents is saving the devil. Have a great Thursday, and please join us again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Texas Congressman Troy Nels joins me to discuss the Biden administration weaponizing the FBI for political purposes. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Nels also tells us about his new book on what the partisan January 6th committee 
won't tell you about the 2020 elections and the violence at the Capitol. I'll also tell you about how more and more Hispanic voters are fired up to vote for Republicans. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.